0: So, yep, back to chat about the Campionato di Carico. Whoops, auto-correct. Italiano. Today, with Fiorentina Juventus coming up on Friday, we're having a look at the greatest one-sided hate match in the world. And some classic matches of yesteryear, like the time Ruby Baggio went back to Florence and said, Frankie, do you remember me? And also this:
1: Del Piero esterno straordinario, e la Juventus è in vantaggio.
0: Hey <laughs> Just uh, myself and James Horncastle this week. Hello James. Hey, Jimbo How are things going there in the only title race in Europe. Very tight, isn't
2: it? Mm. Um, just one point between them. I think if you uh... them
0: being Napoli and Juventus.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: All okay, right, Napoli, what did they do last weekend?
2: Napoli beat uh, a fairly decent Benevento side um 2-0 on Sunday night with a, another lob from Dries Mertens, beautiful goal. <laughs> Ooh, it does sound good, doesn't it? And how did Juve respond to that? Oh, with seven goals, Jimbo against Sassuolo. Wow, seven goals. Yeah. Scansuolo, as they were <laughs> <Scansuolo>. calling them. <laughs> which is the verb scansare, which means to step aside. Yeah, yeah.
0: Very nice. That's good work. Where was that? The Gazzetta, was it?
2: Yeah, that was that was just trending on on Twitter whilst oh. that game was going on.
0: Right. Uh, Three of those goals scored by Gonzalo Higuain, who's back in form ahead of the uh, Spurs clash coming up next week.
2: Yeah, he had gone six games without a goal and uh, he was saying, look, I know people are pointing out that this is my worst season from a goal scoring perspective uh, up until that point. Um, But, you know, I'd settled to score 10 or 15 goals fewer as long as I only score the big ones in the big games right. which is something that has always been a criticism of him and he's been doing that we saw in the cup last week last Wednesday he got the only goal um, away in Bergamo against Atlanta and his first hat-trick for Juventus um, albeit when they were already 4-0 up but some really good finishes from, mm. from Pepita
0: OK goals in big games next Tuesday I'm saying it's a big game uh-huh. at the Allianz Stadium when they host Spurs is a massive game before that though Fiorentina on Friday and they did a win this weekend, the first in, what, six games?
2: Yeah, they did. And uh, a lot of tension around Fiorentina at the moment because um, they'd lost um, two games in a row going into this game and humiliatingly so, their last one, a 4-1 defeat at home to Hellas Verona, which uh, led, what, 3,000 fans to camp out outside the stadium, demand an audience with uh, the directors. Then uh, a delegation of the Ultras went to the training ground on, on Saturday to remind uh, the players of what they expect from them. And uh, yeah, that was kind of them that was very nice, yeah, hmm. apparently they were they leave very a civil. Post it or something <laughs> <laughs> Stefano Pioli, the uh, Fiorentina manager, um, said that um, you know they did acknowledge that we we've played well at various stages of the season it's just right. the last two games have not been good enough, and uh, yeah, they went into the Apennine derby against Bologna um, which uh, yeah, which put, is an interesting
0: game because it featured two goals scored directly from corners,
2: yeah, the uh, goal Olimpo as they uh, as they call it um, because the first ever Goal scored from a, directly from a corner was by an Argentine against uh, a Uruguayan team which had just won the Olympics. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this was very unusual because um, Fiorentina scored the first goal directly from a from a corner kick and then four minutes later uh, Bologna responded by doing exactly the same. Although that did go in off a Fiorentina defender. I wasn't sure if that entirely counted in the same way. Well, the, Fi- the, the Fiorentina goal, that was uh, the... Uh, bureaucrats, the pedants back at the league basically ruled that an own goal oh, did for Bologna's uh, goalkeeper, Antonio Mirante because oh, okay. he kind of just touches it. But uh, yeah, brought back, uh, brought back memories of uh, Massimo Palanca, do you remember the uh, who used to play for Cantanzaro who scored 13 goals directly from corner kicks. That's remarkable. Primarily because one of his teammates, mm. Claudio Ranieri, mm. he used to jump as, um, at the near post just before Palanqui used to take these corner kicks uh, so the goalkeeper didn't, had no idea where the ball was and then it was too late to react and it just came, crept in at the near post <laughs>
0: Claudio Ranieri <laughs> uh, Federico Chiesa getting the other goal in Fiorentina's 2-1 win over Bologna and uh, looking good Federico Chiesa uh, Other news well uh, Lazio had their second straight defeat in the league Inter have now gone 8 without a win against their former idol uh, Walter Zengas Crotone Sorry, that's not eight without a win against Crotone, but it was, a, what was it, 1-1 one, one draw, no? 1-1 one, one draw, yeah. yeah. So that's now eight games without a win, and Roma did win 1-0 at Hellas Verona, so now the race for those two other top four places behind, Napa and Juve... But it's tight, isn't it? Those three teams, Lazio, Inter and Roma, just two points between them.
2: Yeah, it's surprising because Lazio had an opportunity to go, what, seven points clear of Inter, really, in the last two match days. If they'd beaten Milan when Inter dropped points against Spal, and if they'd beaten Genoa at home uh, when Inter dropped points against Crotone, then, then be, they would be far clear of that uh, chasing pack and really locking down third place and automatic qualification for the, for the Champions League. And instead... Uh, Roma were the big winners of the weekend um, with, uh, with both of them dropping points and Roma getting back to winning ways Chengi's under scoring uh, his first goal um, for the uh, Giallarossi after just 43 seconds and uh, yeah Di Francesco changing things up a bit going back to the system that worked so well under Spalletti last year with Naingalan just playing off in the in his favourite role where he hasn't been allowed to play all season
0: i tell you what, James, let's uh, order up some cappuccinos, because it's uh, that time of day, and have a look through the papers. What do we got here? Oh, City has a new TV deal. And intriguingly, a country plagued by dismal coverage of their football has handed the rights to the one country even worse at television than them, <laughs> Spain. Yeah, Well, a Catalan group, in fact, have bought the rights, which means a little bit more money for City, our clubs. They're now third in the money league. They're close behind the Liga, but still less than half the revenues from TV of the Premier League, although, crucially, they'll have a significantly bigger share of half-dressed women doing the coverage. <laughs> uh, good to see. Uh, Italy have appointed a new manager. It's Gigi Di Biagio. He's going to handle these Azuri's two high-profile friendlies in March against Argentina and England. So the latter match, intriguingly, will feature two managers who've missed decisive international penalties. <laughs> Long term, Di Biagio faces a challenge for the position from Roberto Mancini and Antonio Conte whose diary of course is looking freer by the day speaking of which uh, stories continue to circulate that Chelsea want Napoli boss Maurizio Sarri as Conte's replacement a continuity move because the team is already putting in some Sarri performances uh, no, I anyway. like that as well the continuity ah, continuity continuity <laughs> uh, yeah, Napoli would require 8 million to release Sari, but apparently they're quite happy about this because they regard this season as going to be the end of an era, one way or the other. Plus, of course, even if they do let him go, he's going to be back free again in 18 months. <laughs> Corriere della Sport bucking the trend on this story, though. They say that Napoli plan to keep him and build him one of the strongest teams in Europe. Who are they going to buy? Federico Chiesa and Simone Verdi, quakey continental giants. <laughs>
2: What do you think about that the story there, James? Well, they're supposed to be meeting on Friday, De Laurentiis and uh, Maurizio Sarri, um, but Sarri has dodged this. He said, look, I've got a contract. Um, my mind's on other things like winning the league title and, oh, we've got Lazio at the weekend, so I'll be preparing for that. So I'm sorry, Mr. De La Rentis, you might have to wait a bit.
0: Oh, hey. And we were talking to Richard Hughes last week on the show and mm. afterwards he was recounting the various trips he's made with Eddie Howe of Bournemouth to see... Napoli's training sessions to see how Sarri works his magic. Eddie Howe apparently blown away by the Sarri uh, method, uh, but, but Richard blown away by how quickly Sarri has picked up English. He's, he's, he's studying it hard.
2: Yeah, and uh, I mean, he used to work as an international currency trader for Montepaschi di Siena, one of the, what, the oldest bankers in the world, I think. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, he used to have trips to London, Frankfurt, and claims to speak a bit of English, but... Richard really blown away by the improvements he's been making. I think in some respects he is the perfect manager for Chelsea not only because of the style of football uh, that he plays but you look at all this tension between Conte and uh, the key decision makers there when it comes to transfer policy. Sally famously hates the transfer market. He doesn't want anything to do it. He famously uh, do to do with it. He famously called it the refuge of the weak. Basically, coaches should coach. That's it. Just give me a bunch of players. I don't want any new signings. I'm just going to stick with this team. And you look what he's done at Napoli. The only players he signed are the ones he had at Empoli <laughs> and other, other teams like that. Bologna Udinese. So in good that respect, that's true. Yeah. In that respect, makes perfect sense from Chelsea's point of view. It certainly does.
0: All right. Uh, good. Well, Napoli have Lazio this weekend. But the game we're mm. going gaga about is, of course, Friday night's Fiorentina-Juventus. A chance for Fiorentina possibly to save their season. I mean, they're down in 11th. They look well out of the picture, even for Europa League places. But get a win against their hated rivals. And I'm sure a lot of that uh, Viola ire would be forgiven. A match this which pits former Fiorentina youth products Chiesa and Benedeschi against each other. That would be interesting.
2: Yeah, I'm interested to see what reception Bernadeschi gets because uh, you know he's a Tuscan boy. He was at the club since he was um, 12. They gave him the number 10 shirt. They were talking about him uh, becoming the, the new Antonioni or the new Rui Costa uh, for them, and uh, he decided to join the Evil Empire mm-hmm. uh, instead in the summer. But. Um, yeah, I mean, if we look at this game, at the Artemio Franchi, it's always a bear pit when Juventus go there. The, the, the unfortunate thing is is that the ultras are holding a protest. Uh, they will not be putting on a big choreography um, because um, when they've tried to get banners in, in, in recent weeks against the owners, um, the local authority have basically stopped them from doing it, imposing some censorship. And uh, also, they just don't want to... Uh, make a spectacle of something uh, which would, you know, I suppose, show the owners in a better life. You know, look at this fantastic atmosphere. They don't want to do that um, because they're, they're in conflict with the Delhi Valley family. It's who a they,
0: shame because Delhi Valley's were regarded, and possibly this is a while ago, as, as some of the more forward-thinking, the, you know, the people on the right side of, 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 of progress in, in Italian football. What's gone so very wrong between them and the fans then?
2: Well, they think there's a, a lack of ambition um, from uh, the, the Fiorentina owners, which, to be fair to them, I mean, they they only spend what they can earn um, from the club. And uh, given that they picked up Fiorentina when they were in oblivion, they didn't even exist anymore. They were called Florencia Viola um, after the uh, largesse of the uh, Czechy Gori years. Mm. You can understand them not wanting to spend irresponsibly. Um, but I suppose what happened in the summer was... Whilst Milan bought an entire team, Fiorentina sold an entire team because not only did Benedeschi leave, they also lost Borja Valero, their captain. They lost their top scorer, Nikola Kalinic. They lost Mattias Vecino, Ciprian Tatarasano, the goalkeeper, went to play with Claudio Ranieri at Nantes. Gonzalo Rodriguez left. So it's a completely new team there in Fiorentina and a very young team as well, not only with Chiesa there, but also uh, Cholito Simeone. So Mm. um, they've had ups and downs um, so far this season which you can kind of expect from a team that's, that's so kind of green around the ears I guess
0: wouldn't it be amazing if they managed to get the result against a Juve side that's going to have one eye on that Spurs match I'm sure we'll talk about that more later on right now though it's time for us to uh, stick the keys in our Fiat DeLorean and travel back in time for some
2: classic Galato action My name, as if you didn't know, is James Horncastle. And although I keep my hair long, I like to keep my beard short. And when it comes to shaving, I insist on Cornerstone. Cornerstone takes all the hassle out of shaving. You'll never run out of blades again. Just let them know how often you shave and they'll take care of the rest. Get £10 off your first order and find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk forward slash totally.
0: Yeah, Fiorentina Juve possibly the most one-sided hate match in the world. <laughs> it's the biggest game of the year in Florence. Not so much in Turin. Not so much, just another weekend in Turin.
2: Well, it, I mean, this is something I think uh, some Juventus fans think of Torino as well, the Turin Derby's coming up. You right. know, they see their rivals really um, as being Inter and Milan, the ones they traditionally fight for the title with. Um, and more recently, you might say, you know, Roma and Napoli. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a time when these two were going for the title together, going to the final day of the season, neck and neck on points, 1981-82. Liam Brady. And Liam Brady scored his penalty to win the game against Cantanzaro, and Ciccio Graziani had a perfectly legitimate goal um, ruled out against Cagliari. And uh, yeah, Franco Zeffirelli, you remember the, the, the Oscar-winning director Very said much that... So. Um, yeah, seeing Juventus's then president Giampiero Boniperti in the stands at Cantanzaro, eating his sunflower seeds was like a was like seeing an American mafioso, and that uh, that was uh, right. I think that ended. Could up. he
0: not have gone with a Catanzaro mafioso? Would that not have been?
2: No, I mean I think it still led uh, Boniperti to take legal action. Did it against? Right, okay. Yeah, so. Um-
0: I think even before, I think it's just, you know, people in Florence, as a as a city, they hate everybody. I mean, they we used to go to war with the towns down the road. So Figurati, a, a yeah. city up in the north, which declared itself capital of of, of Italy. And I, there's a major, I think, division between them in terms of lifestyle, in terms of their approach to life and that. But you mentioned that the Liam Brady penalty, which a lot of people would regard as one of the touchstones in Florence's hate for Juventus. The other biggest one that gets mentioned is Roberto Baggio's transfer to La Vecchia Signora in 1990 ahead of the World Cup, <laughs> uh, which, as legend has it, sparked three days of riots along the banks of the Arno.
2: Yeah, with, uh, I mean, pitch battles between police and obviously very angry Fiorentina fans, and, uh, you know, sort of the uh, you know, old men and women on their balconies throwing. Throwing potted plants at the police, throwing lemons down at the police to stop them attacking the uh, uh, the Tifosi. Um, but yeah, I mean, Badger during that summer had to be sort of smuggled into Covaia, which is where the national team train, um, because you know they which is
0: basically part of Florence.
2: But yeah, just outside of Florence, and uh, yeah, they they couldn't necessarily guarantee his safety. Right. They, were, they had what free training sessions, uh, open training sessions to the public, and they had to basically do it all behind closed doors because wow. they um, yeah the, the Fiorentina fans were so angry Banjo obviously a, a talismanic
0: figure for any Italian football fan but particularly in that period for Fiorentina fans the club had kind of taken him in when it looked like his knees might have wrecked an incredibly promising career and he'd responded by becoming one of their greatest number 10s ever in a club where the number 10 is regarded with Particular reverence. So then, the fact that the Pontello brothers sold him to to Juve, why it would be his fault? I don't know. But anyway, um, famous game when he made his first appearance back at the Artemio Frankie at the end of the 1990-91 90, 90, 90, 90, season, when uh, Juve lost one nil, and Badjo, who'd been booed by the home fans, refused to take a penalty yeah. for his for Juve against his former club.
2: Yep. Yeah because he says um he you know, trained with the goalkeeper Mareggini for 5 years and right. Mareggini knew him inside out and uh yeah he would have missed the penalty anyway um but in st- so he told um Gigi Maifredi, the Juventus uh, manager at the time former champagne salesman um that he wasn't going to take the penalty and so D'Agostino did and uh
1: missed
2: it, yeah,
0: Badjo left the field holding a Fiorentina scarf.
2: Yeah, and uh, his story really uh, is a tale of two scarves in this move because one of the reasons why the Juventus fans, a certain fringe of the Juventus, ultras, never uh, warm to him, was because at his unveiling at Juventus, uh, he was given a black and white scarf. And instead of kind of uh, holding it up for pictures and draping it around his neck, he just put it on the chair next to him. <sighs> And uh, obviously, when he then goes back to Florence and they throw him this purple scarf and he picks it up and he just looks at it, clutches s- it, clutches it and mm. puts it on. He doesn't actually put it on. No, I mean, he but he does it. carry it off the field. But the, the roar in the crowd yeah. as as he did so is like, yeah, actually, he's not a mercenary. He's not a Judas. He's one of ours. Wow.
0: Okay. For our classic slice, our most classic slice of Juventus against Fiorentina, there, we're going to fast forward a little bit at 1994.
1: I think positive, because I'm alive,
0: because I'm alive. I think positive, because I'm alive, and since I'm alive, nothing in the world can stop me from thinking. Nothing in the world Yes, indeed, 4th of December 1994, Italy is still reeling to the smash chart sounds of uh, Lorenzo Giovanotti and uh, Io penso positivo. And it's picking cold at the Stadio degli Alpi in Turin. <laughs> yeah, seven-year-old Claudio Marchisio was in the stands. Seven-year-old. Yeah. And so were we of ye oldie Channel 4. Because uh, it's a big fixture, isn't it, Juve Fiorentina? But Juve coming into this one with one or two problems because uh, Robbie Baggio are injured. Mm-hmm. They're taking on a Fiorentina side, called sporting that wonderful purple kit. Samontana, the sponsors. Look, there's Juve. Can you see him in the classic Cappa, sponsored by Dononi? Uh, strip. On the sidelines, Lippi puffing a cigar. In one of those fur-lined tracksuits that <laughs> they had at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and his opposite number, none other than... Claudio Ranieri. Claudio Ranieri. Yeah,
2: who just got Fiorentina back up. They bounced straight back up after their relegation. Traumatic one. And Battistuta remember, stayed with mm. them when they went down, as did uh, Stefan Effenberg. Yeah, yeah but surprising. he wasn't there
0: this no. day in Turin. And Ranieri had his team well on their way to a major upset thanks to this from Ciccio Baiano
1: Arriva poi di gran carriera Baiano e la Fiorentina è in vantaggio <laughs> and this from Angelo Carbone e il la palla è per Carbone il destro e la Fiorentina raddoppia clamoroso alla delle Alti 2 Fiorentina
0: 2-0 up injuring with only just over a quarter of an hour to go
2: And then, James, pick up the story. (laughs) And then it was one of the comebacks of the ages uh, for Juventus. Um, Luca Viali um, getting a brace...
1: Orlando Orlando butta in mezzo questo pallone ravanelli poi Vialli con la punta del piede de due a due incredibile rimonta della Juventus and so then the possibly
0: the... is this now one of the most famous goals
2: in all of Italian football I think so it's the one that got me into Italian football, really without doubt yeah um, because Del Piero what, had uh, made his debut a few years earlier. He'd scored yeah. his first goal against Padua, I think, in 1992. So he
0: he was kind of like the next... He was like a banjo 2.0, if you will. Yeah. With a little bit less of the fantasia, perhaps, but a, a more pragmatic player. I mean, still a wonderfully creative footballer. But he'd come from a similar region of the country, mm. was vying for the same number 10 shirt, and... I think Juve had really seized on him as the, the, the man to build their team around.
2: Yeah, exactly. They were going to uh, go all in on uh, on Del Piero. Um, I mean, they at one stage did come close to sort of uh, loaning him to Parma in exchange for, for Dino Baggio, the wow. other Baggio. Um, but uh, luckily for them, that didn't happen. Um, and yeah, I mean, Del Piero, I think be- certainly before his knee injury against Udinese a few years later was seen as... Uh, I'd say a little bit more of a flair player than he he later became. Mm. Um, had to adjust his game, but uh, yeah, I mean this goal was just uh, wonderful. Alessandro Orlando, the guy, the left back who basically floated this ball in. It's a very speculative ball. Saying you know it's the the best assist he ever he ever laid on for anyone. Francesco Toldo, the goalkeeper for Argentina, saying it's the the best goal anyone put past me. Gianluca Vialli said he shanked it. <laughs> <laughs> said uh, it hit, it's one of those guns where it hits you on the shin and it just goes in. Uh, no one else will say it but uh, that's how I see it and uh, I think that was the, the goal that made Del Piero because as I mentioned you know he'd, he'd already scored his first league goal in Serie A a couple of years earlier, he'd already scored his first hat-trick against Palma the previous season but that goal was a goal that went around the world, as they say.
0: Right, a little bit of Orlando magic. Ooh. <laughs> so, Orlando, in my mind, is about at the halfway line when he hoofs it upfield.
2: Yeah, on this kind of. Uh...
0: And how long is there left on the clock? Oof. Minutes? Minutes. Yeah. Minutes. And Del Piero is running into the box, and the ball is in no way aimed at him. All he can do is stick out a leg, but in doing so, he magnificently volleys it past Toldo into the top corner.
2: Yeah. No, it's uh, it's sublime, and I think uh, yeah, he still looks back on it. And it was, let's remember, this was one of the first goals he did score of his career, and it was even at the end of a long and illustrious one, the best he ever scored.
0: Really, yeah. and of course, the the three people at the Deli Alpi went absolutely <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Can
2: you imagine being behind one of those sort of uh, concrete pillars or something, the stanchions? Because you the the, the the views at the Deli Alpi were not the best. You probably right. would have missed it. Yeah, ah, <laughs> amazing.
0: Wow, you mentioned one or two of the names. Always fun to have a look back through the uh, the team sheets. Oranieri's uh, Fiorentina told her there in, in goal. Stefan Pioli, who's of course uh, currently the Fiorentina manager. Yeah. In in it was, it was it was lining
2: up in the And he did play for Juventus and oh, of course uh, he did, yeah. Yeah, I mean he was he was so bad uh, <laughs> for them <laughs> that um uh, I think on his first day, his training session he was he was meant to do like some um passing exercise or keep you up his with Michel Platini. And basically he couldn't do more than two or three. And so Platini got so frustrated, he just walked off. So Trapattoni, who was the coach at the time, basically said, I'll do them with you, Stefano, and you know, sort of helped him Aww. manage four or five. He is so.
0: a sweetheart, isn't he, yeah. Uh That Fiorentina side, of course, is, uh, pretty much top-loaded with talent. Because he, up front, apart from Baiano, we mentioned you had Manuel Ricosta. Ooh who notoriously could do anything he wanted on a football pitch, with the possible exception of actually scoring. Yeah. That was his, his one drawback. But a, a wonderful player. But
2: Battistuta went on this game, and having, having scored in 10 straight games. Wow. He'd broken the uh, the record held by Ezio Pascuti for 32 years. And uh, Pascuti, I think, was in his 50s or 60s at the time, had gone into selling insurance, was just pleased that people finally remembered his name after it's sort of been gone and forgotten. But... Uh, yeah, Batigod didn't, of course, score in this game. No.
0: But he did get a statue, thanks to his exploits. He did. and Later that year. It was the, the following year, wasn't it? Batigo yeah, five.
2: because uh, Fiorentino had just come up after being relegated. He stayed with them. He could have gone to any club in the world because he'd already uh, made a big name for himself in Italy. But uh, curiously, James, uh, we're recording on February the 7th. Now, mm-hmm. uh, February the 7th, 1999. Fiorentina were playing Milan, and this was they were top of the table, winter champions, and this was the game that Edmundo then went to the Rio Carnival. Uh, Battistuta got injured, and Fiorentina's best chance of winning the title um, since 1966 went up in smoke. Yeah,
0: but Edmundo had a wonderful time at the carnival. So yeah, the animal, the animal. On that Juve team sheet, you had Angelo Peruzzi in goal, Massimo Carrera, who's uh, these days running Spartak Moscow.
2: Yeah, we saw pa- in the Champions League against mm. uh, Liverpool.
0: Paolo Sousa. Future, we, we,
2: future Fiorentina manager. Of
0: future player of the year, actually. Uh, yeah. City player of the year, I think the following year at Juve. But yeah, he then took over mm. Fiorentina and, of course, QPR. Moreno <laughs> Torricelli. Wow, what a story he had. So he yeah. was a man who essentially was a, a carpenter in a factory and was discovered playing Sunday
2: League football, no? They played at- a friendly against him. Against his team, Caratese. Caratese. Good and, knowledge. Uh, yeah, I thought he was so good they would uh, snap him up. And... and he went
0: all the way to the World Cup. Yeah. Incredible. A Jesus like figure with his long hair and beard. Who's also from Carpentry Stock. Of course. Uh, sorry. <laughs> also on that team sheet, that Gianluca Vialli, who. He obviously got a brace in this and generally was you know, I think people I think when people look back at his CDI goals, they're always struck by how many bicycle kicks he did. Not yeah. something he was famous for later on, but in early years at, at Juve, he, he was just ridiculous.
2: Yeah. And his perm before he was born. <laughs> that was that was, <laughs> really was back in his samp days. days. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and ooh, of course Fabrizio Ravanelli, uh, the white feather, uh, he had one more season at Juventus before he went to and that young lad Alessandro Del Piero, who went on to become the symbol of Juve, largely, as you say, thanks to this game and this goal.
1: Del Piero esterno, straordinario, e la Juventus è in vantaggio. Quando sembrava che ormai le due squadre fossero quasi paga del 2 a due, Del Piero segna un gol memorabile... It's funny Del Piero, chique...
0: Juve, was, he was saying that the club went full on in him and, and actually made their mascot a giant pupazzo called Alex. You know, essentially, they decided that he was going to be almost kind of the walking mascot for this for this club. It never really hit the heights of popularity. Why is that? Because he's so shy in interviews? Or, or because his Juventus were so closely tied in with some of the, you know, most controversial uh, periods of recent italian football
2: well this is the year yeah. in which uh, the triad come in of right. Mochi, uh Giraudo, Giraudo and bettiga yeah. and everything changes um you know, they they start to dominate the league dominate the transfer market um and are associated with a lot of the the dark side of things that um that juventus are and uh, yeah, some of those players of that era, um, I think, you know, and Juventus more generally, are, are disliked um, because of it. Yeah. I think t- to be honest, Del Piero is is still very well liked and still popular, um, but not as transcendent. The love for him isn't as universal as it was for Totti, for example, and for um, certainly for Badger. Yeah, and I think it's yeah, you know, it's quite interesting that Badshah played for all three of the the big the big clubs: Milan, Inter, and Juventus. But what I would say is he wasn't... He had, he's he's never recognised
0: really... for his work with the Azzurri. Yeah. yeah.
2: Or with the, he went around for around oh, Bologna, Brescia, Brescia yeah. Fiorentina, and uh, was seen as a much more universal player who wasn't really att- attached to these big three, the big powers in, in
0: Italy, I'd say. He went down to Serie B with Buffon, but Buffon, I think, would win a popularity contest between the two of them any day.
2: Yeah, it's very interesting to see, uh, obviously, Del Piero would have liked to have retired at Juventus. Um, and played as long as he wanted there but he was told that that wasn't going to be the case mm. and um, Andrea Agnelli, the president even even though Del Piero said he would yeah, you know, he would play for nothing essentially or play on whatever terms Juventus gave him said, no, be off with you
0: Which is, you don't think that's going to happen that's with Buffon? That's not going to happen with Buffon who
2: right. uh, gets on very well with, uh, with Agnelli and is the godfather to his what, third child and mm. so, Del Piero
0: uh, had to go to Australia
2: He did Yeah, yeah. all right
0: all right, then, James, well, let's finish off with some uh, pensieri positivi about Tuesday night's clash at the Allianz Stadium. Juve, injuries uh, are mounting up. Dybala's is going to be missing for the first leg. Mm-hmm. Blaise Matuidi now out of the picture as well. Defensively, they're unbelievably sound, but how are they going to cope with Kane and company?
2: Well, I think, uh, look, it's, you have to go back to, what, 2013. Uh, to find the last time Juventus lost in Europe um, at home. Um, uh, that was to the buy-in side that won the treble. Um, the Allianz Stadium is a, is a fortress um, for them. And uh, I think the reason why Spurs can maybe uh, have some Pensieri Positivi is because, as you mentioned, the injuries, but also Juventus have a really poor record against English sides in knockout competitions um, so I think you have to go back all the way to the 80s to find the last time they actually triumphed um, against uh, against an English side really in, yeah in,
0: oh because the Man United would that would have all been in group
2: stage and then of course the, the, Chelsea the, the, more the Roy recently. Keane game was right. when they would they knocked them out so um, but yeah.
0: Chelsea more recently that you have looked more than a match for Premier League champions
2: they have I mean I'd say Juventus even against Man City in the group stages were uh, a couple of years ago were very good. Um, So, you know, they have established themselves uh, uh, as, again, one of the part of the elite. You know, I'd say Juventus merit to be considered one of the favorites for the competition, you know, every year Mm. um, uh, now, you know, which wasn't the case for a long time after their relegation um, uh, for, for the Calciopoli scandal. And the time they spent away from the Champions League. But uh, yeah, a lot been made. The the sort of matchup between the managers is really interesting. Um, Italian papers have done a lot of kind of work on uh, Pochettino's Piedmont origins. You know, his his, uh, grandparents uh, obviously were from there and then moved to Argentina. And uh, yeah, Allegri, um, when Allegri was once very close to taking the Spurs job when, when Franco Baldini was, uh, was, was uh, more influential at Spurs than he is now. So I think um, two, two managers who I think look at the game through similar glasses, I think.
0: Right. Some interesting storylines there. Mm. That match coming out on Tuesday. That's it for this little uh, trip into the wonderful world of Calcio. Uh, James, thank you so much pleasure. Look forward to hearing you again on the Totally Football Show mm. in the very, very near future. Meantime listeners, many thanks for being with us and from all of us here, it's Italiano.
2: You've been listening to Golazzo, the Totally Italian Football Show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production and for sales and advertising, please email
0: sales at muddyneesmedia.com. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Not nearly enough football league, though. Why don't you give the Totally Football League show a try?
2: You'll find us on Audioboom, iTunes, all the other places you get your podcasts.